wonderful and marvelous and all those things, and it's good to see you here with us this morning. Welcome to those online, and welcome to you. It's Thanksgiving 2020. Can you imagine? 2020. It's been some year, hasn't it? I mean, uh, who could have imagined this time last year uh, that a pandemic would grip the nation and... uh, uh, I mean, paralyze the nation, really. I mean, you know when Disney World closes, we have a problem. I mean, I mean, I mean you know, a lot of things can close down our life, but, man, when Disney closes, you're, you know, the world's coming to an end or something. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, a pandemic and uh, mask and hand sanitizing and, uh, you know, not sure if you should hug somebody or not. I mean, all that, all that stuff. I remember before the pandemic began, really just a few months before it all began, Sherry and I, for the first time ever, had gone to Disney and actually stayed on the property. We had never done that before. And uh, if you've ever done that, you have the joy of riding those crowded buses. I mean, you get on a bus and there's, you know, it's a bus that holds 30 and there's 50 in there. And so you're shoulder to shoulder. Uh, of course, no, no one would do that today. Uh, but on a serious note, you know, this pandemic, uh, businesses have closed down. People have lost their livelihood. They've lost their investment in a business that they've built their whole life. Um, uh, other, other things have happened. I mean, uh, the normal things of life that we've been used to, movie theaters have closed down, arts uh, theaters have closed down, our oldest daughter sings uh, professionally, and all the operas and the things that she was in are all closed down. All the venues are closed down. Um, all those things, no social gathering, and uh, in some states, praise God, not here, in some states they're saying, don't even have anybody at your house for Thanksgiving. Well, I don't know. Eating with a bunch of people, that's where I draw the line. Man, we're eating, uh, you know, pandemic or not. But the point is, if we, if we look back at 2020 and as we celebrate Thanksgiving this year, you want know, to think, what are, we, you know, what are we being thankful for this year? Well, I, w- I want to remind us today for just a few minutes, reasons to be thankful from the Bible. As Christians, as people who are, are trusting in Jesus Christ, we know, we know that our joy and our peace and our security in life is not found in the things of the world. I mean, a pandemic can't take away our joy in Jesus, right? A pandemic can't take away our, our peace that we have in Jesus Christ. A pandemic or any other national disaster or natural disaster or any other challenge of life, a sickness or whatever it might be, cannot separate us from the love of Christ. And so I want you to think with me for just a few minutes this morning about, about being thankful, and, and, this, and today's message is going to be a little different. Typically, we go to one passage of Scripture, and we stay in there the whole time. Uh, today, we're not going to do that. We're going to move around a little bit. We're going to begin in Luke chapter 18, so you can go ahead and begin to turn in your Bibles there. But I want us to think this morning for just a few minutes, and I want to give you four biblical reasons why we should be thankful, four biblical reasons why we should be grateful. Now, I'm going to tell you, when I sat down with my yellow legal pad, and yes, for the young people, um, I still use a yellow legal pad when I'm writing stuff down. Um, I wrote down a long list of things that we should be thankful for. And I wrote down a bunch of verses out there. And it became very evident, you know, about five or ten minutes into this exercise that I don't have time to talk about all those things. So I picked four. And here are the things I want you to think about this morning. We'll look at them in order. We should be thankful Predominantly, I think above everything else, I picked them, I think, in order of importance. We should be thankful for the unmerited grace of God. And that supersedes everything in life. 
I mean, there would be no reality of life without the grace of God. There would be no hope of life. There would be no salvation. There would be nothing to look forward to. So first, we should be thankful for the unmerited grace of God. Secondly, what comes with that unmerited grace is eternal life. You understand that before we were saved, we were dead in trespasses and sins. We came to Jesus and got saved. Now we are alive. And that life isn't just temporary. It's forever. And we'll talk about that for just a few moments. Thirdly, we should be thankful not only for the unmerited grace of God, for eternal life, but we should be thankful that God adopted us into his family and all that that means for life here and all that that means for eternity. And then finally, I am thankful that when God saved us, he didn't go, okay, good luck, you're on your own. That when he saved us, the Holy Spirit indwelt us and God teaches us and he guides us through this life. So, as time permits, let's think about those four things. Look in Luke 18 with me, beginning in verse 9. We're going to talk in this passage about the unmerited grace of God. And in this passage, we find a parable that Jesus told, and he told it to a group of religious leaders. In fact, he told it to a group of people who thought they were already righteous, who thought they were going to heaven based on their works. And so Jesus tells this parable to teach them a lesson. Begin with me in verse 9. Also, he spoke, Jesus, this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. So that describes Pharisees. We'll talk about that in a moment. Verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a publican or a tax collector. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this public in this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Verse 13. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Verse 14. Jesus said, I tell you, verily, verily, truly, truly, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is a parable of unmerited grace. There are those who pride themselves on outward conformity and performance. And that's epitomized in no greater scene than in the Pharisees that you find in the Bible. A Pharisee that you read about in the New Testament was a a man, a Jewish man, who, who was extensively trained in the scriptures, in the law. He was a scholar of that day. He was very religious. His, his conformity to the law, his performance of the law was second to none. In other words, they were very circumspect in all of their lifestyle and obeying the law and obeying even the moral code that they invented that was passed down from one generation to the next. They were very particular about obeying all of those laws. And because uh, they obeyed all these laws, and because they were so particular, they, they counted themselves as saved. They counted themselves as righteous before God, predominantly for two reasons. One, because they were Jewish. They thought that since we're born of the seed of Abraham, because we're part of the tribe of Israel, because we're part of, of this nation that God chosen, uh, we're already in. In other words, they considered themselves saved, born again, because of their lineage. Can I say to you this morning, you can't be saved because of your lineage. You can't be saved because of who you're connected to. Let me tell you how that applies today. Your dad might have been a a preacher, but that don't mean you're saved. 
Your dad might have been a deacon or an elder in the church. It doesn't mean you're saved. You're not righteous because somebody else in your family was saved. You're not righteous because your family carried you to church every Sunday. You're not righteous because your household exercised some religious faith. That doesn't save anybody. The Pharisees thought, man, we're Jews. Uh, we're part of God's uh, chosen people, so we're in because of our lineage. No, salvation is a personal matter, not a lineage matter. And secondly, the Pharisees thought they were saved because of their keeping of the law, because they figured, well, you know, our works are good, and we conform to the law, and if we conform to the law, then we must be righteous. But there was a, a failure in their theology. You see, the Bible says nobody can keep the law. None of us, even the most religious among us, fail, do we not? We fail in our hearts, and we fail in our minds, and we fail in the intent of what we do. And so these men who thought they were perfectly righteous uh, thought of themselves as saved because of what they did. Now, here's, here's a, a, a danger of being self-righteous. Listen very carefully. Even among the church today, men and women who consider themselves self-righteous, men and women who consider themselves mm, better than everybody else, become very critical of others become very judgmental of other people and very critical of them. And Pharisees were that way. The Pharisees would look at Jews among their society. And if a fellow Jew uh, didn't measure up to their supposed standards, they would count them as a great sinner and as one that was lost and not worthy of heaven. And, and listen, particularly among Gentiles, people who were not Jewish, they really looked down on, Jew, on Gentiles and Samaritans and people who weren't purely Jewish. So they were very critical uh, of others because of their self-righteousness. Well, Jesus tells this parable of these two men. The contrast could not be greater. The Pharisee was viewed among the Jews as the epitome of a Jewish man, of one who's righteous and religious and right before God, really the standard, if you will. And then this other man that Jesus mentions here, the publican in the King James Version, which means a tax collector, now, a tax collector was this. A tax collector was a Jew who had essentially began to work for the Romans and would collect taxes from his fellow brother, Jew, brethren, the Jewish people, and would give those taxes to the Romans. Now, among Jewish society, listen to me, no one was more despised than a tax collector. No one was looked down upon and condemned more than a tax collector because they were looked at as a traitor. You're collecting taxes from your own people to give to a pagan nation who rules over us. A tax collector was seen among that society as the greatest of sinners, the one most worthy of the hottest place in hell. And so Jesus picks these two men, this example of these two men who go into the temple to pray. Now, we can say positively as these two men go into to pray, both are seeking God. Both want to uh, approach God. Both want to go in and pray and, and seek God's blessings. But they pray two completely different prayers. Now, understand this. Jesus is talking to a bunch of Pharisees. So this story is really going to get interesting for them in just a moment. Jesus is talking to this self-righteous group of people. Now, the Pharisee, when he begins to pray, as you read the parable there, what's his prayer all about? It's about him, isn't it? It's about his accomplishments. It's about who he is and what he's done. And so he begins to recount to God. He begins to recount God all of his works. He said, God, I am so thankful that you didn't make me like him. 
Boy, that's, that's uh, the epitome of self-righteousness, isn't it? To pick somebody else out of the crowd and go, Lord, I'm glad I'm not like him or her. God, I'm glad. I'm just so thankful, God, that you, that, that you didn't make me like him. And God, you know, God. Now, you know me. I'm not an extortioner. God, I don't, I don't take what's not mine. I don't covet. And God, you know, I don't, I don't, I've never committed adultery. And, and, I, and I don't tell lies. And God, I'm, you know, I, God, I, I, I do all these good things. Then he says, Lord, and you know, I, I, I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I have. Now, what's the problem with this prayer? There's a lot wrong with it. Let me just hit a few, okay? First of all, the man presumes for himself that he has never sinned. He presumes for himself that he's not sinning on a daily basis. Now, what's wrong with that? That's a lie. He's lying to himself. Let me, let me just give you, from what he said, the truth. He says, Lord, I'm not an extortioner. I don't take what doesn't belong to me. Okay. Do you know what went on in the temple? You remember when Jesus took a whip one day and uh, turned over the tables and ran them out? I saw a sign recently that I really liked. When you ask what would Jesus do, turning over tables and chasing people with a whip is not out of the realm of possibility. Okay. I like that. I might put that by my desk, matter of fact. What would Jesus do? Well, at one point, he turned over tables and chased people around with a whip. Do you know why Jesus did that? Because the religious leaders, this guy here and his buddies, who are all self-righteous, like we never sin, had turned the temple into a money-making bazaar where, where some pilgrim would come to the temple, and I get this, with an offering to approach the living God of whom they were supposed to be teaching people and would bring his sheep and the, and the priest inside the temple there would go, well, that sheep's uh, flawed. He's not qualified. But I got this sheep right over here who's qualified, and it's 10 bucks. So the poor traveler who just came into town with his sheep can't use his, his sheep or his lamb or his offering. He has to buy the one from the temple at a considerable markup. And who's getting the profit? The high priest and the religious leaders in the temple. That's why Jesus went into the temple and said, this is a house of prayer, and you've turned it into a den of thieves. You've turned it into a marketplace, and you ran them all out. Why? Because they were hindering people from coming to God. So this man who prays this prayer and says, I'm not an extortioner, liar. Okay? Yes, you are. You just won't admit it? Yes, you are. And then what else did he say? He said, I'm not an extortioner. I'm not unjust. Well, yes, you are. In your heart. You already condemned this man. Instead of praying for him, you already said, God, thank you, I'm not like this guy. Okay, so you are unjust. Hey, and, and the whole immorality thing, I'm not an adulterer. Well, yeah, maybe he forgets about his thoughts and the errant thoughts and the lust that's in his heart that every human being struggles with. So he's, he's lying to himself. Listen, you know, why people, you know what people do today? They do the same thing. They lie to themselves. You know, they'll say, well, I'm not so bad. I've had people say that before me. Pastor, you know, you tell me I got to get saved. I'm saying, but I'm not really that bad. And I go, well, you're not really that good. God said it, I said, you know, you just say, I'm not really that bad. And well, God said, you're not really that good. Matter of fact, God said, you're not good enough. Okay. So this guy here is praying this prayer. God, I'm, and you know, at the end of the day, you could sum it up this way. When I was looking at it, I was thinking, you know what he's telling God? I've done all that. I'm such a good guy. God, you owe me. Man, I've done all this stuff. God, you know what? I deserve to get into heaven. You've got to let me in. God, I have done all this stuff, and really, you, you know, you just owe me now. 
Well, you know, Isaiah 64, you know what it says about our righteousness, don't you? It said all of our righteousnesses, if you pile them all up, if you put them all together, it's like filthy rags before God. If we could, if we could somehow in one day put all the very best that we are into one little pile, God would say, that's just filthy, just dirty. So this Pharisee, he prays this prayer. Now, what about the tax collector? He takes a little different approach. The tax collector had no preconceived ideas that he was any kind of righteous. I suspect he knew that because everybody told him all the time, you're a sorry fellow. You're a tax collector. Now, to be honest, tax collectors had a bad reputation. You know why? Because the Romans said, collect $10, and the tax collector would collect 15 and keep the other five for himself. That was his fee. And tax collectors were known as thieves, as extortionists, as embezzling, as taking advantage of people. But this man's prayer indicates that he understood where he was spiritually. Look at verse 13 again. And the tax collector, standing afar off, he wouldn't even, listen, he wouldn't even go in among the people who thought they were righteous. He's standing back. Would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat upon his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. There are three things about his prayer that you need to really pay attention to. Listen, very carefully. Number one, there is humility before God. You get that? Humility before God. That's how we all have to come to God with humility. Not with pride, not with self-righteousness, not with I deserve to be here. But God, I don't deserve to be here. And you come humbly. Secondly, it comes with confession. Confession. God, I humbly come before you. Listen, agreeing with everything you say about me because you're right. God, everything your word says about how undone I am doesn't even begin to cover it. You're right. I am undone. That's confession. That is humility. Confession. And then finally, listen, there's humility, there's confession, and then there is petition. There's petition. Here's, here it is, the unmerited grace of God. This man, with no merit of his own, nothing that would endear him to God, no quality, no righteousness, no nothing, comes humbly confesses his sin, Lord, I'm a sinner. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, save me. He made the petition. Now, what's God's response to that? Jesus said in verse 14, I tell you, now remember, this group of Pharisees who's listening to Jesus, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Don't you wish you could see the faces of the Pharisees standing in that crowd when Jesus said that? When these two guys prayed, Jesus said, the tax collector got saved and the Pharisees still lost. Which was saying to the crowd, listen to him, you're all lost too. Listen, unmerited grace has to be received with humility, with confession of sin, and with the petition to ask God to save us. When you sit around your Thanksgiving table this week, which as I'm sure we will all do in some form or fashion, and you partake of the food and you give grace and you thank God for blessing you with all that you have and we should, maybe you ought to start with unmerited grace. Think about your life and mine for just a moment. At some point in your life, if you're saved, God broke into your life 
and extended to you his unmerited grace, meaning you can't earn it. And at some point, if you prayed, confessing as this man did, and with a petition of asking God to save your soul, he forgave your sin, and by faith you surrendered your heart to Jesus and you were saved, you were blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, according to the Apostle Paul. God's, it's a, it's a present possession, you have it. And those blessings have extended to this life. You will sit around a table in this country and eat food that most of the world doesn't have access to. You will live in a house and homes and enjoy blessings in this country that most of the world doesn't have access to. Why? Because God loves you and he's blessed you and he's taken care of you. And we should be thankful for God's unmerited grace in our lives. Nothing we have, nothing we have, not one thing do we deserve. But God's given it to us because he loves us, because he's a great father and he loves us. So unmerited grace. Let's be thankful for God's unmerited grace because everything we enjoy in life and as a Christian is based on God's unmerited grace. Secondly, we should be thankful of eternal life. Take your Bibles and look at John chapter 5, the gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John chapter 5 verses 24 and 25. When we come like the publican, we come like the tax collector, and we come humbly, and we come with confession, and we come with a petition for God's grace, and he saves us, he grants to us in that moment of forgiving our sin, he grants to us eternal life forever. Look at verses 24 and 25 of John chapter 5. Jesus said, most assuredly, or truly, truly, I say to you, now listen to this, he who hears my word, and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. How long is it? It says everlasting, doesn't it? That's, that's forever, okay? Now notice what else Jesus says. And shall not come into judgment, but has passed from what? Death to life. Verse 25, most assuredly, truly, truly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Jesus said here that those who hear and come to him and believe receive everlasting life. Now let's say a word about, about hearing and believing and what that means. Hearing is more than the sound waves reverberating off your eardrums. Hearing really entails two important things. Hearing with regard to God's word means that I receive it and I accept what it says. You see, there are people who can come here or watch us online or listen to the video later, and they will hear what God's word says because here when we teach the Bible, we say what God said. And so they will hear what God said, but they won't receive it. They won't embrace it. In other words, they won't let it be applicable to their life. Sometimes people sit in church with a spiritual umbrella up. And as the word of God's raining down, it runs off and they think it's for everybody else. But it's really for us, isn't it? So hearing means to receive what God said. And predominantly it means this for those who are lost. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Period. Paul said, there's none righteous, comma, no, not one, in case somebody thinks they're an exception. There's none righteous. So the very first thing we have to receive, Jesus said, 
for his unmerited grace is we have to accept the fact that everything God says about our sinfulness is true. God said we're undone. God said we deserve judgment. God said we are sinners to the nth degree. Now, to be just and honest about it, not everybody in life is as bad as they can be in their conduct. Some are worse than others. But on the inside, we're all undone. On the inside, we're all sinful. So to hear, Jesus said, when we hear, it means to receive what God said. It's amazing that when I have the opportunity to share the gospel with people, sometimes it's difficult to convince people that they're lost and they need to be saved. And I'm amazed at that. I'm like, really? You cannot even see in your own life how jacked up you are. And they really appreciate it when I tell them that. I mean, you really can't see in your own heart about your, about your desires and your lust and your, un, and, and your thought processes and all the things that, and you know why I think it is, because society has become so sinful, it's just become the norm. And nobody sees anything wrong with it. Nobody sees anything wrong with doing what God said not to do. But hearing says, yeah, God, you're right and I'm wrong. And then the second part of hearing, listen, very important. When I understand, when the Holy Spirit helps me understand, then I have to act on it. Then I have to respond to it. That's hearing. That's hearing. I can illustrate this way. When you, when you go to school and the teacher, uh, the professor, the teacher's up there and they're giving you information, say, read this, read that, and you hear what the professor says and you understand what they say, but the hearing requires acting means when you get the test next Friday, give me back what I told you. Okay. In other words, I want to know that you heard me. I want to know that you were paying attention, so I want you to tell me what I told you on Friday on a piece of paper so that I know you got it. And if they don't, I use a great big red pen because I want to hurt their feelings. Red. Did you didn't get it? Listen, the same is true with God. We hear. The Holy Spirit helps us understand. But then we have to respond. We have to be like the public, and we have to say, God, you're right. I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Do you know there are a lot of people in life today who understand that they're sinners. They know, but they won't come to Jesus. They won't act on it. Let me Listen to me very carefully. Are you listening? Knowing about God and knowing that you need to be saved won't save you. Everybody understand that? You can stand in front of Jesus one day at the great white throne judgment and go, hey, I knew all about that. I went to church. Preacher said I was a sinner. I believe that. And Jesus said, yeah, but I never knew you. Depart from me. We never had a relationship because you never came and asked me. You never, you never said you wanted mercy. In fact, Jesus will say, you wanted your sin more than you wanted me. You made the choice. Don't make that choice today. Choose Jesus. If you understand today that you need to be saved online in this room, if you understand you're lost, then come to Jesus today. Ask him to save you. Be like the penitent tax collector. Ask Jesus to save you today. Listen, when you get saved, Jesus said he gives us everlasting life. Now, what does that mean? They say, well, I don't know that people live forever because we have funerals all the time. No, it's not the same thing. No, you understand that the Bible says before we were saved, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. You know what that means? It means spiritually dead, dead on the inside. Now, you have physical animation your body has the, the life, the, the spirit of life that God gave you. And by the way, when your body dies, that life goes back to God because it's his. And the body will go in the grave and done. 
If you're saved, you'll get a new body. It'll come out of the grave. If you're lost, you're not really getting a new body. You're just going to hell. Okay? I don't know. I, sometimes you tell people that and you think, man, what are you thinking? If, if, if I understand that I'm lost and being saved means God's going to save me, give me eternal life, new life on the inside, new spiritual life, and if I'm lost and I die and I go to hell, man, that's, that's not a hard choice. Everybody hearing me? That's not a hard choice. Why would you not want to come to Jesus? The only reason would be you love your sin more than you love God. And that's a bad trade-off. But God said, Jesus said, listen, when you come to him and you get saved, you pass from death to life. He said, and, and shall not come into judgment, but have passed from death to life. Meaning, we're no longer under the judgment of God. We've been saved. We have eternal life. Are you alive today? Do you have life today? I don't mean sitting here today breathing. I mean, do you have real life? Think about eternal life for a moment. What does it mean? It means that when this life is over physically, if Jesus should tarry is coming and somebody has a funeral for me one day, the body will be here, but it won't be me. That won't be me. That'll be a shell that I lived in for a while. And this one's wearing out anyway. No, I'll be in heaven. Think about eternal life. To be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord, eternal life means I can spend forever with family members and loved ones who have gone on before me. I can see them again and fellowship with them. It means I can spend forever with Jesus in heaven, serving him. That's good stuff. You sit around the table this week and think, man, what can I be thankful for? Well, you can be thankful for eternal life. Be thankful of God's unmerited grace and eternal life, thirdly, thirdly, very quickly. Not only does God's unmerited grace lead to his eternal life, which we should be thankful for both, but it also leads to being born into his family. Look at 1 John chapter 3. Take your Bibles and look there. 1 John chapter 3, the first two verses. Listen to this. John said, Behold, a statement of amazement, if you will, a statement of, uh, of excitement. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. Well, what a statement. Behold, what, what manner, what kind of love has God poured out on us? Now, notice this, verse 1, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now are we children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Well, that's something to be thankful for. What does it mean to be in the family of God? John says, what kind of love would do this for us? What kind of love would... Think about it. Extend unmerited grace to those who don't deserve it, which is all of us. What kind of love would not only extend unmerited grace, but then would grant to us eternal life in his heaven? What kind of love would then bring us into his family? Not just as the angels or cherubims or seraphims, not just as the angelic beings of heaven, but bring us into a personal, familial relationship with the God who created us. Who would do that? What kind of love would do that? 
only the love of God, only the agape love of God, only the love of God that chooses to shower love on those who do not deserve it. The moment we get saved as the public and as the tax collector, the Bible says that we are immediately, by the power of the Holy Spirit, born into the family of God. That's why we walk around church going, hey, brother, hey, sister. It isn't because you forgot their name, but it really is because they're brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, we used to do that in the Navy. If you forgot somebody's name, you just call them shipmate. Hey, shipmate. In church, you say, hey, brother, hey, sister, because you say, man, I can't remember their name. I don't know. What. But no, you call, we, we can't call one another brother and sister in Christ. Why? Because the moment you were saved, we were born into the family of God. I'm born into the family of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. You're born into the family of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a familial relationship. Why is it? Listen, it's not an accident that, that, uh, that a church where God is working, where the Holy Spirit's active, and where people are loving one another, why it can be such a sweet fellowship? It's a family. It ought to be. I don't know about you, but this week for Thanksgiving, you have kids flying in from out of town, if you can, if they can, or you have some family members. What do you do? You sit around and you have good fellowship. That's the way the church is. That's why we have fellowship. Why? Because we're born into the family of God. Listen, what did Jesus say to a guy named Nicodemus? Remember John chapter 3? Don't turn there. Let me tell you. A Pharisee comes to Jesus at night wanting to know how he can get into heaven. In other words, am I missing something? Why? Because he probably heard teachers. Maybe he heard Jesus tell the parable of the, of the two men praying, and Nicodemus is thinking, I'm like the guy. That's what I would have said. So he comes to Jesus at night, and he says, what do I need to do? You know, you remember what Jesus said to him? Jesus cut right to the chase. Jesus didn't talk about religion. He didn't talk about his politics. He, didn't talk about, he said, Nicodemus, you just need to be born again. That's the answer. Born again, born into the family of God. New life, born into the family of God. Nicodemus said, how can I be born again? He didn't get it. Completely confused. Jesus said, Nicodemus, are you a teacher of the people or what? He said, no, I'm not talking about physical birth. I'm talking about spiritual birth. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit birthing you into the body of Christ. Paul said it this way. Don't turn there. Listen to this. Romans 8. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. You're born again by faith in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit lives in you. You are a, a son or daughter of God. Listen to this. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we now cry, Abba, Father. It's Aramaic for Papa. You can pray and talk to God like you would your, like you would your earthly father. That's the close relationship that you have with him. Paul went on to say the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Listen, the Holy Spirit will bear witness to your heart that you're saved. He will bear witness to your soul that you belong to Jesus Christ, that you are a child of God. And if children, listen to this, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Listen to me. If you're a born-again child of God, you are a son of God the Father, and you are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Now, I don't even begin to have time to delve into what all that means, but everything that Jesus owns... You're in on it. So what does Jesus own? Everything, because he's the king of kings and lord of lords. Now, I know the Bible says that when Jesus sets up his kingdom, we're going to rule with him. And I don't have a clue what all that means. And neither does anybody else, so don't let them tell you otherwise. I don't, I don't know what all we're going to be doing. But here's what I do know. Paul said right there that if I'm a child of God, and I am, I am heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And whatever he's doing, I get to do. 
And whatever he's involved in, I get to be involved in. Always in an honoring way, always in a worshipful way, always in a respectful way. But the fact is, do you understand how glorious heaven's going to be? Do you understand how wonderful eternity is going to be? This whole mindset of sitting around on a cloud up there with your heart plucking away uh, while eternity ticks off is wrong. No, we're going to be engaged. We're going to be serving Jesus. We're going to be doing something involved in his kingdom. And listen, Jesus runs the whole created universe. And he's going to make it brand new when it's all done. And there's going to be a lot of stuff to do in that big old universe. And all the stuff they can barely see out there with the Hubble telescope, man, we're going to get to go out there and sit on it and stand on it and look at it. And, and, and listen, if you think things on this earth are beautiful, wait till you get a view from God's view in heaven and see how beautiful the universe is. Then we're going to go, wow, that's beautiful. Wow, that's impressive. And God spoke it into existence. Pretty, pretty cool to be a child of God is what I'm telling you. So you ought to be thankful for that, right? Sit around the table and say, God, thank you that I'm your child. Thank you that I belong to you. No matter what's going on in life, God, you're my dad. And, I, and I'm thankful for that. Finally, very quickly, in the last couple, three minutes. The final thing is, the last thing we should be thankful for is God's guidance in life. You see, it's wonderful to be saved by merit of grace. It's wonderful that we got eternal life. It's wonderful to be a child of God. And we enjoy that right now. But really, the greatest benefits of all that are going to be realized after this life, right? Well, what about here? What if you get saved like I did at 11? And God decides to leave you here for a normal life. That's a long way of struggling and messing around in this world, isn't it? That's a long way of trying to figure out what am I supposed to be doing. I am thankful. I am thankful that God said, uh, while I leave you there, I'm going to watch over you. And I'm going to take care of you. Listen to one verse, Psalm 32, 8. Listen to this. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Well, that's a good verse. Listen, and we don't have time. Let me, let me tell you very quickly what it means. God said, I'm not going to save you and leave you to figure out and muddle around on your own. I'm not going to do that. When we got saved, the Holy Spirit came to live in us permanently. He's in, he, if you're saved, you are the temple of God because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. God gave us his word. And when we read his word, the Holy Spirit interprets it to our heart and he helps us to understand it which gives us guidance and light because David said, Lord, your word is a light to my feet and a lamp to my path. David said, your word, when you teach me, helps me not stumble. So God said, hey, when, when I save you, I'm going to teach you. And you know what that implies? That we need teaching. Okay, you get it? God said, oh, by the way, I'm going to save you, and then you got to learn some stuff. Then I'm going to teach you. I'm not going to leave you to, to, to muddle around in life all by yourself trying to figure out what's going on. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. My spirit is going to live in you, and he's going to help you understand, and he's going to help open your eyes so that you can see. Have you ever noticed this? If you've learned much about the Bible, and this is not said from an arrogant, from any kind of a boastful uh, position, but if you, if you read the Bible as a child of God and God the Holy Spirit helps you understand, you begin to realize really quickly how little the world knows, don't you? I mean, you, I mean not in an arrogant or demeaning way, but you look around in the world have you ever hear you ever hear people say things? And from what you know about the Bible, you go, hmm, in your own mind, you go, man, I don't really have a clue. They don't, don't really they don't get it. They don't really understand. That's what God's saying right here. I'm not going to leave you to muddle around in that. I'm going to teach you, and I'm going to help you. Isn't it, wasn't it Paul in Romans chapter 12 who said, listen, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that you present yourselves 
a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, right? And be not conformed or pressed into the mold of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God said, I'm going to teach you. And then finally he said, and I will guide you with my eye. You know what that, you know what that means? That's a really cool way of saying, I got my eye on you all the time. In other words, no matter what you're doing, I'm watching you. Why? Because you're my child. Because you're my child. When our kids were little and we would go somewhere, I was like a, I was like a bird dog, man. I mean, most of you dads probably were, right? When your kid's little, you're thinking, man, I'm watching who's near my kids. I'm watching where they are. Why? Because your eye's on them. Because you don't want nothing to happen to them. And if anybody, you know, you start thinking your kid's threatening, well, you slide over there real quick quick and you get between them and whatever listen to me God's doing that for you and me as his child to a degree we can't even comprehend I think we're going to get to heaven one day I, I really believe this and we're going and God's going to say let me show you let me show you how your life went and let me let me show you what I did for you and man God does stuff for us we had no clue protects us keeps us keeps us from harm moves us in the right direction Listen, as you sit around the table this week and you say, boy, what do we got to be thankful for? Well, I can give you four to start with. There's a lot more. Be thankful for God's unmerited grace. He saved us. We didn't have to. We don't deserve it. Be thankful for the eternal life that comes with that, that we have life forever with our God. And, and blessings in heaven we can't even begin to conceive of. Be thankful that God took us into his family. He made you his child. He didn't have to do that. He did it because he loves you. And be thankful that God doesn't leave us here on our own and muddle around in this life. He guides us, gives us instructions, and says, I'm going to teach you, and then I'm going to keep my eye on you. That's good stuff. If you're here this morning and you're like the Pharisee, you think you're righteous before God because you think God owes you, Jesus said it ain't happening. No, you need to be like the tax collector. You need to just come before God. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's how you need to come to God today. If you're online, sitting on the couch, listening to this on your phone, whatever you're doing, you need to come to Jesus humbly, confessing with petition that he saved your soul. Give your heart to Jesus today. Would you do that if you're in this place and you've never been saved? Would you give your heart to Jesus right now? Would you ask him to save you? Let's pray. Father, thank you. God, thank you seems like such a small thing that we can do just to say thank you but God you've been so good to us unmerited grace God we don't deserve forgiveness we don't deserve your mercy but God you extend it because you're a gracious God and you love us God you've given us eternal life and made us part of your family God you guide us every day by the power of the Holy Spirit thank you for being good to us Father if there's somebody under the hearing of your word right now in this place Maybe they're watching online or listening to it on their iPod or whatever they have, Lord. I pray that they would right now just pause and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save my soul right now. We thank you, God, you'll save anybody who asks. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we sing, and I'll be glad to pray with you or help you if you need to come this morning.